This is Toxic, the podcast. I'm Jason Fagoni. And I'm Cynthia Dizikas. And we are back, and we are finally going to talk about the story that we have told you for two episodes now that we're going to talk about it. We're actually going to talk about it today. This is a story about uh, a large facility for processing radioactive soil that was placed next to a busy office building at former Hunter's Point shipyard for reasons that we don't really understand. We just know that this happened, and we're going to uh, tell you about it. So before we get into that, we want you to know that you can write to us. We are Toxic Podcast on Twitter. DMs are open. Our email addresses are there too. And we want to hear if you have tips and uh, ideas for stories we could be covering, things that we could be explaining better. And we will talk about the story after this break. This is a story we've been working on for a couple of months. As you mentioned, uh, Jason, we've been um, we've been sort of teasing it in our prior episodes. It is back to building 606, which was what our first podcast was on. And that is this massive building out at the former Hunters Point Naval Shipyard where hundreds of police were stationed for years starting back in 1997. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about Building 606, in case people have forgotten. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a warehouse that the Navy built in 1989, and it was never really used for its intended purpose. And then uh, 1996, 97, the city came along and said, oh, here's this big empty warehouse, and the rent is really cheap because it's a super fun waste site. So they... Uh, we actually we don't really know uh, exactly why they why they made the decision to put police there. We we have some kind of idea, but it still seems it still seems kind of strange to us that this this was something that the city really did. But um, but they did, and they they put uh, more than a hundred police officers there from tactical units that need a lot of space, like the SWAT team, the Honda sort of light motorcycle unit. What else was there? The K-9 unit. The crime lab. The citywide crime lab was there. And so it, it, it very quickly turned into a busy city office building like any other office building where anyone else works every day. You come to work, uh, you work there, and you leave at the end of the day, and then you come back the next day. It's It just happens to be on a super fun site that is sort of undergoing this very kind of disruptive and active cleanup of uh, radioactive contamination kind of all around the Right, building. and because of that and because the building hadn't been used in years, there were problems right from the beginning. So there was lead in the water, there's obviously dust in the air, there's radioactivity in the surrounding areas, and there's cleanup work going all around them. And that's what we wrote about previously. And we had um, put in a public records request that sort of jump-started that reporting, but we kept getting records back. Right. So I was like, you know, looking at other reporters and reading about how they found investigative stories. So I thought we could maybe sort of talk a little bit about our journey on this one. So basically, you're right, we, we, we published this other story. But as sometimes happens, there was this kind of loose thread that we didn't get to address. Um, we, how did we first read about RSY2? Do you remember? I think in our so in the initial records we got back, we saw some mention of a screening yard. Right. By but we, the we didn't know what it was then or, wh or why where it, it was right. really. But we, we saw this and we realized, of course, that would be something to potentially get more information on. And so we 
put in, I think, another public record. We should just say, like, there's no reason yeah. that, that we would know what a radiological screening yard is, right? Like, we're or that anyone else, <laughs> or, that, or that anyone would, right? Like, we're, yes. we're we're essentially in the in right. the position of of anyone right. else who right. reads the phrase a radiological screening yard. Like, what, what the hell is that? Um, so we saw it in these emails, not knowing what it was or what the significance was, but we did see that it was operated by Tetratech which is a company that we're interested in and a company that has been the subject of a lot of our reporting and reporting by other people in the Bay Area because Tetratech is the main uh, or was the main cleanup contractor for the Navy and all, all the sort of questions that have been raised about um, faked data and uh, some findings of fraudulent measurements to the shipyard are, are, are sort of involving the work that this company, Tetratech, did. So we didn't know what the radiological screening yard was. We saw that Tetratech was operating it, and it was right next to this building we were writing about. But I think we kind of saw that right at the end of our reporting process. We had already written a story, and it was like one. It was just there was just one mention of it in the records, yeah. and so we really didn't have a lot more to go with then. Right. And then we got this new like records request back. I wanted to ask you because you, you have a lot of more experience than I do on newspaper investigative teams. Is it pretty, because you worked in Chicago before on an IT team, is it pretty normal for there to be a loose thread that is hanging out from one story that you do and then you pick that up and that becomes the next story? Or, or how do you make the decision whether to dive in on that uh, at the moment or whether to sort of wait and build something new around it? I think it's dependent on, I mean, sort of what information you have at the time. And this is um, different from, I guess, a magazine piece where we knew we would be following this issue. Right. And so we knew we had a story initially with all of the records that we had, sort of what the police were experiencing when they first got into this building and the concerns that they had. And then... I yeah, I think that we saw this sort of reference and thought yeah. that's something we're going to continue to ask about. Right. And we'll see if that's a story. And you're right, we did not know what a radiological screening yard was to begin with. And what did we find out about well, that? Well, it also kind of did, it was an object of curiosity and it didn't really make sense at first because we asked Tetratech uh, for a response to our other findings about this building and they essentially told us to go ask the Navy and go ask the city. They said, look, we don't have anything to do with this building. Um, the Navy built it and the city decided to put workers there. So uh, we don't understand why you're, you're asking us this. Um, I thought, okay, but still this, this thing was hanging out, this loose thread, the radiological screening yard, right? So, so we made another records request to the city health department asking specifically for records related to Tetratech's work at this screening yard, right? And so we get we get these records back. When did that happen? About, I would say, about two months ago. Yeah, I well maybe oh, I guess September. September. We get a lot of records, yeah. so it's difficult to sometimes. <laughs> to they're on a rolling basis. Yeah, they roll in. Um, but yeah, so we got this records request back, and by that point, I think we knew a little bit more about what a radiological screening yard was in general, that this was definitely something to be interested in. Okay, so what is a radiological yeah. screening yard? We should explain this. So it's essentially just a, a, a giant outdoor yard um, blocked off by a chain link fence where a, a contractor who's doing a cleanup will bring huge quantities of contaminated soil and potentially contaminated soil, bring it on trucks, 
and dump it on these things inside the yard called soil pads, which are about a thousand meters square. Essentially, there's like this checkerboard grid of these soil pads and they dump the soil on these pads and the soil gets spread out. And then radiation technicians sort of walk over the soil with uh, scanning instruments to look for radioactive substances. And uh, when they find a hot area, they will take a soil sample and send it to the lab. So essentially like a giant outdoor kind of stomach for digesting uh, contaminated soil, right? And then, it, and then if, they find, if they find contamination, then they put it into a, a bin and they have it hauled away to a, a dump that accepts radioactive waste, right? Right. And because of, just in that description you can hear, because of the great potential for airborne radioactivity, contamination, in this case radioactivity, this is literally one of the most hazardous places in a yeah, just about, And you can understand just because you're moving a lot of soil yeah. around and the soil creates dust, right? Anytime you're moving it around. And there's also a lot of wind at Hunter's Point. I was surprised when we went there down to 606. It's constant. It's like constant. Yeah. yeah. It, it was just, it was just a, like a steady, I don't, I don't know how fast it was blowing, but it seemed like it was pretty steady and then it would gust up. Right. If you talk to anybody who has worked there or spent any time there, they will tell you about the wind uh, and they'll tell you about how the wind picks up dust. And so, so yeah, so you have all the soil that's being brought in by trucks, it's being moved around, it's being dumped on pads. You have a lot of potential for dust to be ejected into the air. And because they didn't know what was in the soil, but it was coming from areas that they knew were contaminated with radioactive substances, they knew that there was a possibility that the dust put into the air contained, you know, minuscule radioactive particles that could be really dangerous if you breathed them in, right? Exactly. And um, and you mentioned that the yard was, this particular yard was huge. You did this calculation, which right. I really liked in the story, but it, just to give you a sense, it's a 13-acre footprint and you've got these pads that Jason mentioned, 37 of them covering about nine acres, which is... So the, so the fair territory at yeah. AT&T ball field is like two and a half acres. Right. So it's like so, more than three times the area of fair territory at AT&T Park, and it's just soil. And it's, it, yeah, so there's a lot of potential for some of that soil to go airborne. Now they do, and you know, when the Navy talked to us, they do use um, a number of dust control measures to try to keep the dust down at um, you know, hazardous waste sites in general at the shipyard, uh, they use something called rhino snot, which is a fibrous material that they spray onto these dirt piles. Yeah, it's to something keep else we've never heard of before. Right? <laughs> Trademark. Trademark. <I> <laughs> Trademark term. <laughs> and and they also use water, so they use water to keep things down, but they can only use so much. Right. So the rhino snot is like this fibrous thing; it creates a crust on the soil. Um, and it prevents some dust from blowing around. But when we talked to the police, I mean, they, they said that dust was a problem often, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, and the, the measures to control the dust also create other problems because when you have these water trucks that spray down the dust, it creates a lot of mud, and then the mud cakes onto your clothes and onto your motorcycle and your car, and then you take that stuff home to your family and throw your, you know, clothes in the wash. That was a... 
a concern that the guys a have really too. big concern. Yeah. And so, okay, so as we're we're sort of figuring out that this, so we're looking at we're basically looking is, at these emails. So right? we, should, we should describe like when we're looking yeah. at, at the records. What are we looking at? We're, we're mostly looking at emails. Right? We're looking at emails, and then we're going back with the Navy's reports to try to find out. How big is the yard? But that's a, where the that's yard a is. separate set of documents, right? Like exactly. So the navy uh, the navy uploads these long technical reports that describe what they're doing on the cleanup. So that's one set of documents where you can where you can tell what's going on, right? And a lot of those reports are written by Tetra Tech, um, and then they're released by the navy. And then this other set of records, the emails that we're looking at. W- what are we looking at when we're looking at these? So things? these emails, and so this is where, as Jason is saying. Um, so we're realizing, okay, there's this yard here. What is this yard? Who's managing this yard? But then the emails we have are really primarily between the city health department and an industrial hygienist who had been really assigned to this issue, right? right. And she is trying to find out everything that we are trying to find out about this yard now, right. you know, years later, what is it? What's it going to be processing? Um, can we see the air data coming? Can we see right. what your air monitors are finding there? And so these emails are really the city is expressing some concern with the fact that this is in 2007. So the fact that this yard is going up and um, and how they might ensure that the police working next door are protected. And she's doing her job, right? Mm-hmm. She's She is uh, looking at a potential risk to city employees who are working next to this radiological screening yard and the city public health department. It's 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 their role to keep uh, all city employees safe, right? To prevent accidental exposure to any kind of hazardous material for any city employees working anywhere. But they've always had this kind of special relationship with building 606 at the Hunters Point shipyard to the point where the health department has even stationed uh, an industrial hygienist inside the building, right, to keep to right. keep track of things. But the but the email that really caught our eye that 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 uh, that you just described was uh, from somebody who wasn't at the building, but she was kind of asked to specifically analyze the the potential danger of this, you know, very large soil processing facility that Tetra Tech and Navy were about to build, right? Right, and she's asking a series of questions that I, I think the reporters, us, you know, looking at this years later had, that cops had at the time. This is this is the this is the moment for me. I don't know about you, but this was the moment for me when I thought, oh yeah, we have to do another story about this. Like this is a story <laughs> on its own because she sent this email, this amazing email on May twenty fourth, uh, two thousand seven, where she lays out a series of questions to her bosses at the city health department and, and they're very blunt and uh, and and one of them is basically like, should we keep city employees at the building while this work is happening at all? And and she and then she sort of games out possibilities. Well, if we keep them there, what would we need to monitor the air for radioactive particles? How would we monitor the air if we decided that we needed to? What would happen if we found an exposure? Uh, do we have a protocol for that? And to, I mean, to me, it was it was it was significant because it showed that they recognized that there this thing could be a risk to people. The, right? There was a risk. Exactly. What did, you, what did you think when you read this email? Yeah, I mean, to me, it very much was a. It seemed to be a, and and the city described it to us this way that this was, um, she was doing her due diligence. Right? She had been assigned to this this issue and this situation and these were all the questions she was asking as a health professional right. out of it and it definitely showed i mean these questions showed that what they were 
trying to figure out at that point as the city was what what risk is there? Will these police officers be safe? And what do we have to do to make sure that that happens? And coming out of that, and we don't know who made this decision, but the city decided to keep the police officers there. And they decided that the way forward would be that they were going to review the air monitoring data from TetraTech. So TetraTech has these air monitoring stations set up around the yard, and they are measuring the levels of radioactivity, of certain types of radioactivity in the air. They're, they're machines, right? Yeah. They're like, they're gasoline uh, power, powered by gasoline generators. Yeah. And they're just machines that sit there. And and they they produce these reports on what was found in the air, and the city thought, Okay, we're going to get those, and they were, and these were in emails and memos to police commanders where they were saying, "This is what we're trying to get, right?" right. And we're going to be looking at this. So the city says, "Okay, we we decide that it's safe for uh, people to keep working in this building while the this screening yard is processing soil. We're going to be monitoring the air to make sure that nobody's breathing anything dangerous, and we're going to be doing that by getting the um, the information about air samples directly from the contractor that is operating the yard uh, and from the Navy, which is overseeing the contractor, right? So this is the city's plan going into July 2007 when the yard begins to operate. And, and this, these huge, like enormous volumes of soil begin to pour into the yard. I mean, like, it, it's it's really, it's amazing to look at the Navy reports and count the numbers of truckloads that which jason has yeah, been doing <laughs> going through these like hundreds of pages of essentially navy data sheets and uh, you know it's it was more than six thousand truckloads of soil from all over hunter's point shipyard from some of the most contaminated areas and, that and that's the key right. right some of the most contaminated yeah. areas so you have the police that who are in their own little situation but you are literally bringing some of the most problematic parts of the shipyard to them. Bringing it to them, right. And, and, and what's, in, what's potentially in that soil is, you know, the, the radio, what they call radionuclides of concern. Again, not a phrase that we knew before we started <laughs> uh, that was in use in our daily lives. But what they mean by that is uh, uh, radioactive substances that could be in the soil based on uh, records that they have about what has been used uh, by in Navy experiments in the past and also what was produced in these kind of these uh, two plutonium bombs that were exploded in 1946 in the Pacific and then the irradiated ships were brought to San Francisco and, you know, they sandblasted the hulls and spread a lot of the stuff that was on the ships throughout the shipyard. So, and so what could be there in that soil is plutonium-239, which is one of the most dangerous elements, period, right? And specifically airborne specifically airborne and and you know plutonium 239 is has a half-life of i think twenty four thousand years so it doesn't really go away and it can be dangerous if you inhale it in extremely tiny amounts other other radioactive substances that could have been in the soil were radium 226 she used to make glow in the dark watch dials strontium 90 cesium 137 so so all this sort of like very questionable soil is being brought as he said you know dumped next to this city office building and the city is trying to get this information about you know is the air safe directly from the contractor and from the navy and what and, and what the what the emails show and what we this we is where they become very revealing yeah this is where the emails become revealing because the emails show that they were unable to get that information the city could not get the information that it needed to verify that the air was safe and that the people in that building were safe and why couldn't why couldn't they get it 
So they kept go- so the emails show they kept going to TetraTech, you know, the company managing the um, yard and monitoring the air, and they kept going to one individual there, the guy who was heading that up, and asking him. They met with him, and and then we see these emails that are just like we've heard nothing back. We've we've been assured we're going to get this. We've heard nothing right. back. They eventually, the industrial hygienist we mentioned, actually goes to the Navy and asks for this information. And the Navy sends her directly back to this person who isn't giving her any Right, the Navy sends her back to Tetratech, which has been giving her the runaround. Right, so, so they're stuck in this very unhelpful loop. And then in the early fall of 2007, they finally get a snapshot of air data, several weeks from the right. summer of data that they were gathering around the yard. Right. So Tetratech sends them, you know, about nine pages of uh, air sample readings from like, what, like a six week period? From the yeah, summer. six or seven. And uh, and this is another kind of moment in the reporting of the story when it, when it seemed to, to open up into something revealing because we, we looked at these sheets and we shared them with an expert that we've been consulting on a number of these stories. And it turns out that Tetratech and the Navy were using a safety limit um, for airborne radioactive particles that is designed for workers in the nuclear power industry, right? Right, who are allowed to see, receive much higher amounts of radiation. Right, because if you, go, if you sign up to work in a nuclear power plant, you're sort of accepting some level of risk. You're accepting yeah. a level of exposure that you, know, you or I or anyone listening to this probably wouldn't accept. And you also have like specialized protective gear. Right. Training. Training. Yeah. Um, but the Tetratech and the Navy were applying this sort of nuclear industry standard to the, to the air that was, you know, uh, being ejected by this yard right next to a building where civilians were working. And so, um, and it turns out that the EPA's safety limits for members of the public or people like police officers or civilian crime lab employees are, you know, about 10,000 times stricter than the limits that uh, the Navy and Tetratech were using at this yard. And so we saw that and we, and we asked the EPA about it and then we had this sort of like, to me, a kind of a remarkable exchange with the EPA about what's going on here. Like essentially asking the EPA, okay, your own rules say that uh, members of the public and people like the, the cost of this building you know, were not protected by the safety standards that uh, the Navy and Tetratech were using. What's the deal? Why didn't you step in and stop this? Or, and, and what did they... They said they basically said that it wasn't a problem at all, right? Right, and in fact, um, we asked, of course, all the government agencies and Tetratech about this, and you know, um, on the standards issue, Tetratech said they they were using the standards set by the Navy and agreed to by the EPA, and the Navy and the EPA and the City Health Department, they all said the police would have been protected right. by these standards. Um, but they just said that. They didn't provide any evidence. Well, so then, and, so and then so you, you kept on asking the email. So <laughs> Cynthia kept on pushing this beyond the point where I, where I would have pushed it. But it was a really good idea because we, eventually you got them to send us the details of... This calculation yeah. they did. So we kept asking, okay... Under your own safety standards, right? How how do these other standards? How would they have protected the police? Yeah. And so they, um, and this gets a little bit complicated, but they ran a calculation that 
took into consideration a number of assumptions to to arrive at the conclusion that the police would have been safe. But the assumptions they made were incredibly optimistic. Very optimistic. Yeah. And so to tell them about so, some of that. So they assumed that the wind would have been blowing from the radiological screening yard in the opposite direction of the police building most of the time. That's one assumption. They assumed that dust wouldn't have been a problem unless the wind was blowing faster than 13 miles per hour, which is pretty dubious. They assumed that um, police would have only been exposed to the air from the yard for, what, 7.2 minutes per day for just 40 days a year. But the yard was operating year-round, according to the Navy records. So so the, the assumptions that they put into the calculation to get a, a, you know, a finding of safety seemed to us kind of fantastical. Well, and also, and this may seem like a fine point a bit, but they only did this calculation after we asked. After we asked so they right. didn't, it's not like back when this was happening, they said, oh, we're using these other standards. Let's make sure yeah. that the cops are still safe. That's why I think it's so, it's so good that you kept pushing them. I was just exasperated by their responses. I was like, all right, they're not answering our question. We can, we can put this to bed. But you kept on, you kept on asking them, <laughs> sending them like these long emails with bullet points. You know, We've had many lengthy <laughs> email exchanges with many agencies since starting this um, investigative reporting effort. Um, but what... Part of, I think, we wanted to definitely express in the story and part of what finding this out about the standards um, led us to is that this is really, you know, what was happening with the radiological screening yard, what was happening with those standards is really about more than the police and affected more than the police. Um, And do you want to talk about that? Yeah, because the the Bayview-Hunters Point community is is right there, uh, bordering the shipyard, and they have talked for years about uh, concerns over dust that's that's coming from the shipyard. And, you know, this is a a historically uh, underinvested community where, you know, there are higher than normal rates of asthma, heart disease. The city released a study some years ago showing that... uh, you know, a kid born in Bayview Hunters Point is is likely to live on average 14 years uh, less than a kid in Russian Hill, which is a richer San Francisco neighborhood. So, uh, so the Bayview Hunters Point community has been talking about dust for years, and the same you know sort of regime, the safety rules that uh, affected the police at this building also uh you know apply to any members of the public who might be exposed to air at the shipyard including the bayview hunters point community visitors uh artists renting studios in the northern part of the shipyard and 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 on and on and and these rules uh are still in effect now and will be uh in effect in cleanup projects in the future whatever happens to the shipyard in the future unless the rules are changed right right exactly and so um yeah, so that's a pretty like sobering, you know, reality that it's not confined to this one area and it's something that isn't confined to the past. Um, we, of course, talked to, you know, a lot of the former police officers who worked there and um, and a lot of them did not know that this yard was even operating. Yeah, they were in the same position that we were in when we began reporting, which is what is a radiological screening? Yeah. Uh, They they didn't know what we were talking about. I mean, so it was pretty clear that nobody from the city, from the Navy, from Tetratech ever sat them down and said, okay, look, we are going to build a large facility for digesting, processing, 
radioactive soil right next to your building. It's going to be operating for about five years. We're going to be bringing in 6,000 or more truckloads of soil on a pretty regular basis. Um, we just wanted you to know that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, and there's that, a like certain moment, risk associated right, with Right, and there's that. a certain and risk associated. This is what that is. This is what we're doing to mitigate the risk or minimize the risk. You know, that, that moment never happened. Right. According to the police we talked to, it never happened. And in fact, they were assured repeatedly that the air they were breathing was safe. Right. And the city is still telling them that, which is crazy to me. I, I can't understand how the city is still giving these, them these blanket assurances after all that we know now. But that, that is the case. The city, the city says that they don't think that anyone in that building was exposed to anything dangerous ever. Or in fact, the city says that they don't think that anybody at the shipyard has ever been exposed to any, any dangerous substance ever in the history of the cleanup. Right. They are doing um, some new testing since the last story we did on water. At Building 606. At Building 606 yeah. on the water, um, radioactivity in the surrounding area. But, you know, a lot of the cops we spoke to for the previous story and for this story, some of them have gotten cancer. One of the police officers we talked to um, got had brain cancer a couple of years ago. Yeah, and we don't know if there's a connection. No, but and they don't either, but they are. they wonder, of course. You know, yeah. they read these things and they wonder. And um, as you, I think, really, you know, astutely pointed out, there's really no way of knowing what they were exposed to at this point. Yeah, this is the frustrating thing about about doing a lot of this reporting, right? Is is you get to the end of the reporting and you you find out these things and you read the records and and you still don't really know exactly what was in that soil, right? How contaminated was it? What was it contaminated with? At what level? What was in the air on a, on any particular day or week or month? Um, we don't we don't know that today, right? We actually don't know if police were exposed to anything dangerous exactly. at all in the air. We don't know, it, but we but we know that the city didn't do what it needed to do to be able to assure them that they weren't being exposed because the city literally never gathered the information. Exactly. So in some ways, um, we are sort of back at the same end that many of these stories that we've done on the shipyard. Um, you know, end up on, which is the unknowns. Right. And and sort of the lack of acknowledging those um, from some of the agencies involved. Right. And, and we don't know why either. Like, we don't know why the Navy built this yard next to the police building. We don't know why the city kept people there. We just sort of know that this happened. We've been able to document it. And we invite you to read our story on sfchronicle.com. Uh, and um, check out the documents too. We posted about 190 pages of the documents that we got, emails, um, annotated, and uh, let us know what you think. Yeah, and, absolutely. And we will be back next week with something else <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> we'll be back with more on you know these topics, the shipyard, radioactivity. To be continued. Thanks to King Kaufman, who is our producer. Toxic is a part of the San Francisco Chronicle podcast network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Toxic and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. Subscribe.